Thank you for joining us for the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. My name is George Mays, and with me, as always, is Jay Jones. Good morning. I heard that deep breath while we were doing the opening. I wonder if anyone else is going to hear that. You all right that this coffee? morning? That's that fresh. Is it that? <laughs> yeah. When you get that coffee hits you just right. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Are you still drinking those Americanos? Is that what you're drinking? Yeah, or you whenever drinking? I go. Yeah, really? Yeah. Yeah, I don't go that often. Okay. Yeah, but I like those. They're pretty They're pretty tasty. Yeah, my wife likes those caffeine. too. If you like just like black coffee and stuff, then that's, that's there you go. That's not my thing, Jay. It's good. I got to have, I got to have a lot of cream and sugar with my coffee. I don't even know what it is. I think it's like espresso in hot water. Mmm. Yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah. <laughs> that just, Yummy. That just doesn't... I had this professor, uh, Dr. Tomlinson. I think I've talked about him on here before. He was the bodybuilder who uh-huh. uh, who was, like, abusive to that one guy who was a Christian. Yeah. He'd dunk his head in the toilet and uh-huh. stuff. Yep. And then he became a Christian, and he ran to that guy's house, yeah. knocked on his door. The guy opened the door, and he was like, ah! And he's like, no, I'm, I'm here to tell you I'm a Christian. That dude ran off of Jolly Ranchers and espresso. Really? He'd be in class, he'd have like a triple shot espresso and a little cup. Jolly Rancher's espresso. I don't even think he ate. <laughs> I don't even think he ate food. <laughs> like Dr. Tomlinson, this is not healthy. <laughs> that sounds terrible. I, I love the, all the characters in the world, man. Yeah. People are fun. There's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. People are fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, today, George, we got uh, uh, the Lord's Supper. Yeah, we're going to yeah, do an yeah. uh, uh, episode on the Lord's Supper. Yeah, that was a good idea that you had to do to do one on that. Well, you know, uh, what was it? Maybe a month and a half ago, we did one on church membership and mm-hmm. and what church membership is, why it matters, how we do it um, here at our church. Not because we've got it, you know, perfected, but because maybe it's helpful for yeah. others to mm-hmm. uh, to kind of to hear, compare, contrast with what they're doing. Um, and so we thought maybe we would do one on the Lord's Supper because there's a lot of bad. There's a lot of bad ideas surrounding the Lord's Supper. Yeah, yeah, and right. just just really like what it is in general. Uh, talk. I think it's important that people learn that and even learn historically what people have believed about it. The different positions people may not be aware with those. Mm-hmm. Do they even matter? Yeah. The position that we hold. Uh, why do we do that? Yeah. Why do we do it the way that we do it? Uh-huh. Things like that. So I think it'll be interesting to talk about. It. Can okay. what are your earliest memories of the Lord's Supper before we start? Um, well, growing up in a Southern Baptist church, um, I don't know why, I don't know how this became a thing, but um, in every Southern Baptist church I've ever been in, the Lord's Supper was always relegated to quarterly. Mm-hmm. I have no idea where that came from. Yeah. yeah. So every three months, you'd take the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And... Um, it was well. Let me take that back. There was also, let me take that back. There was also there was also usually Easter and almost always Christmas Eve. Okay, so six times a year. Mm. All right. Um, no, it usually was on a Sunday morning. It was usually on a Sunday okay. morning. Um, usually, I believe it usually was at the end of the service. Do you remember it being like a special time for you, or? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, maybe not for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was special because it was unusual, uh. I guess, not because it was very well explained. Right. Like, why are we doing this? 
Um, I mean, obviously, we knew why we were doing it from um, yeah. some passages that we'll look at today. Yeah. But um, as for it being you know, really explained, not really. Yeah. Not really. And then you have the little, you know, you have the, the little, little juice, juice cup and, uh-huh. and the little, you know, prepackaged little square that you're just assuming is bread. Yeah. Um, crunchy yeah. bread. Yeah. Very crunchy. And, very crunchy. Uh, that was, yeah, that's, that's, that's been my experience growing up and, and even into, even at the church I was at for, uh, for seminary. That's, that's kind of how we did it. Really? Um, well, let's, uh, let's, let's, if people, maybe, maybe there are a few people that are like, what's the Lord's Supper? They just, uh, on the hey, I gotta know about you. I mean, oh, okay. you came, I mean, you came from a, a different tradition. You didn't come from Southern Baptist tradition. Is there something unique about the, the well, way you did it? Which is, we grew, I grew up in going to the army church. Uh-huh. Well, back when I was in, did they were, do, do they do communion? Uh-huh. Okay. So when I was in, there were more. Uh, chapels, they call them chapels. Okay. So each brigade would have a chapel. So there would be, I think back then, like for instance on Fort Sill, there were probably four or five different places that a Protestant could go to a church. They're usually that's how they're they're divided: Protestant, Catholic, back then, mm-hmm. right? And so everybody would kind of, they would just go to the, if they went on post, they'd go where their brigade was. So we would go, uh, and we'd always go every Sunday, and it was the first Sunday of the month, I believe. Every first Sunday of the month, okay. they would have the Lord's Supper. Okay, traditional, kind of more traditional mm-hmm. style. Yeah, uh, they pass the silver plate okay. plates around, uh-huh. and uh, everybody takes the Lord's Supper. They right. they were like kind of like a flat, uh, for whatever reason. I don't know if it's like military, like logistics supply, but they were always the same everywhere, no matter where you were in the army. The okay. little flat wafer, okay, very small, very flat. About size of a quarter with a little cross, like in the. That's mid- what they do for in the middle of Catholics. It. Really? I'm pretty sure that's the that's the kind of wafer that the Catholic okay. Church uses. Yeah, so they'd be they'd be everywhere. So I'm assuming that's just what they use when they're deployed and stuff too, because it seems like it's kind of like yeah, what's on what's available. But yeah, yeah I wrote, I'll remember that some of my earliest memories, even going back to that. in the uh, in the you know Pentecostal kind of background. Is there anything unique about the way that? The Lord's Supper was done. I don't think so. I can't ever remember taking, going, and taking the Lord's Supper there. Most of our time was spent in the yeah. army, army chapels. So whenever we would visit places like that, um, okay, those churches, I can't remember taking it. Okay, so it's probably like you know, similar. I would guess to uh, Baptist, and that I remember when I started going to the Baptist church. Mm. Yeah, after I became a Christian as an adult. Um, I think it was once a quarter on, on and on Sunday nights. Okay. I can't remember that it was even like a it, it seemed to be just kind of like a thing that wasn't that big of a deal. Okay. It wasn't that important. That's that's kind of how it came across to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, of course I learned later this this is this is very important, mm-hmm. right? Um the Lord's Supper. And it's that's kind of a sad reality of a take on the Protestant church today. At least in the evangelical world, yeah, it's probably not so much in like high church stuff, mm-hmm. or maybe some Presbyterian churches. Well, but. I think we'll I, I think we'll get to <clears throat> to a little bit of why that might be moving from sacramentalism yeah. to calling it the ordinances and yeah. and moving in the different 
um, views of what the Lord's Supper is, I, th- I think that will help explain a little bit about yeah. why it has become that way in I a lot so. of Protestant churches. Yeah, yeah, it'll be good. We can we can touch on that. Yeah. So yeah, that's much my er- earliest memories, but I do remember it being a special time. Um, yeah, so that's the Lord's Supper. So let's let's uh, let's jump in with a brief definition, uh, um, just dis- a description, like for those that maybe just aren't even aware. So the Lord's Supper is a uh, memorial meal. Um, we'll get into if it's just a memorial or if it's more than a memorial in a little bit when we get into talking about the different views of it. But it's uh, the night Jesus was betrayed. He, he is partaking of the Passover with his disciples. He picks up some elements from the Passover meal, and he like... Um, metamorphosizes the meaning of it, right? He like right. he's like this is actually about the new covenant mm-hmm. that is about to take place in my body with what you know, I'm about to be betrayed and and he says, you know, so he picks it up, up the cup uh, or the the bread to my body. Um do this in remembrance of me. This is the blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many. Well, maybe we'll talk about that. That could be Fun to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> we probably should. Yeah. Poured out for many for the forgiveness uh-huh. of sins. Yeah. And so he institutes a very... Uh, what's interesting about it to me is how tactile it is, right? The remembrance part of it. You can pick up a bread, you can smell it, which I'd encourage people to do when they take the Lord's Supper. Pick it up, smell it, pick up the wine or juice or smell it, and you are doing what Christians have done for 2,000 years. And it helps you to focus in on... Christ and his sacrifice, and hopefully his resurrection, because you'd be talking about how he's abstaining till he returns, mm-hmm. meaning he, that he rose from the dead and he's waiting, and he'll return to partake again with us. So it, it takes us it takes us back to that place, but also as we get in, we'll see it's a bigger part of it, that we are one with Christ and one with each other in the church. And so there's a brief description. Very nice. All right. Very nicely done. So, uh, what's the key passages? So Christians have done this for two thousand years. What are the key passages? Why? Why are we doing it? Where do we get this from? Right. So you're going to get these at the um, you know, when Christ takes the Passover meal with his disciples. So Matthew chapter twenty six, mm-hmm. Mark chapter fourteen, Luke twenty two. Uh, there's there's not one mentioned in John. I don't know if you want to talk about that since yeah. uh, since you've been going through John that John John has the foot washing scene instead right. of instead of uh, uh-huh. the Last Supper right um, and I'm sure that there's reason for that mm-hmm. um, but then we've got first uh, Corinthians 11 uh, where Paul is instructing the Corinthian church um, pointing out how they're wrongly right. practicing it yeah, yeah. and instructing them on how they should properly um, take it uh, and then just just two little verses that um, don't really—they don't even talk about the Lord's Supper, but they talk about the the early church breaking bread, mm-hmm. which is usually um, interpreted as yeah. the Lord's Supper. Uh, Acts chapter two, verse forty-two, and and Acts chapter twenty, verse seven. Yeah, uh, on the first day of the week, they're breaking bread. They meet mm-hmm. together to break bread, and then I think a, a important passage that we'll probably get to in a in a minute is John chapter six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those would be the the big ones. Yes, that's right. Um, well, would 
Why don't you uh, read, could you read the Matthew 26 one for us? Do you have that in your Bible ready? Just kind of read that so people can get in their mind what's going on. So just set the stage. This is, uh, Jesus is hours away from being betrayed. Judas is still, Judas is still present. And uh, they're celebrating the Passover. They're remembering God's bringing them out, Mm -hmm. right? They're remembering that God acted in judgment and rescued his people through judgment in the Exodus. Right. It's all about redemption, and now Jesus takes that and he makes it about himself. Yeah, you've got you have to see it in the the against the backdrop of the Passover meal. Mm-hmm. That's what they're taking and you have to remember what the Passover meal is symbolizing. You've got the the Passover lamb. Mm-hmm. They they had to to kill a lamb and and uh, uh you know p- paint the uh, the door with blood so that the uh, the angel of the Lord would not kill the firstborn. Yeah, um, he'd see the blood and he'd pass over. Yeah, right. Um, and it was because of this final plague that God delivered Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Yeah. Um, and so they're supposed to every year they're supposed to remember eat that meal again, eat the meal, and remember what God has done for them. Yeah. Um, by delivering them out of slavery in Egypt. And now, like you said, Jesus is taking this mill and he is he's transforming the meaning of it by showing the greater. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's there's a reason why we don't eat lamb at the when we take the Lord's Supper, right? Right. Because Jesus is the lamb. Mm-hmm. Um he the the symbol has has found its fulfillment. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and so they're they're sitting here. They're eating the Passover in Matthew chapter twenty six, beginning in verse seventeen. It, it says that they're they're eating um, this Passover, and then in verse twenty six of Matthew chapter twenty six, we have his institution of the Lord's Supper. Um, it says, "Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take." eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And there you go. There you go. You got the institution of the the Lord's Supper. And then um, when Paul, Paul... Mm-hmm. He brings it up into the Corinthian church. He says uh, he's going to he deliver to them what the Lord gave to him. Right. That's very interesting to me. Right. Uh, that he, the, he received this directly from Christ mm-hmm. as an apostle. And it's pretty much, it's not verbatim, this Matthew passage, but it is the Matthew passage. Right. It's, you know, it's kind of a reissuing of it. Yeah. goes straight through it just like that. That's that's interesting. Yeah. So there's the uh, there's the kind of the main passages that are usually used. Um, so what's kind of in the biblical background? That's in, this this is an interesting thing to me. Is the idea of people fellowshipping and having a meal with God? Mm. Um, that's another another part of this that I think isn't talked about that often, but it helps us to kind of trace a thread through the Bible, uh, a thread of redemption. Yeah. And redemption in the picture of people communing with, having fellowship with God around a meal. Mm. So it's not explicit, but it really does start kind of in Genesis 1 and 2. 
because God creates man and woman in his image and in his likeness, gives them the earth and everything in it, and tells them they can eat anything. He's there in the garden with them. Um, and when it says God's walking in the garden with them, we don't really take that as symbolism. We take that as a God, cri- God as is Christ. walking with them in the garden. Right. right. And when God walks or he's in a per- as a person, yeah. it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's a pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, so they had fellowship with God before the fall, intimate, perfect fellowship. They're eating anything they want. They're fellowshipping with God. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um and we know that you know the, the, some of the best times that we have with our friends and family is around a meal. Like it's all that's what pe- that's what people do. It's like ingrained in us. Yeah. Get together, eat, drink, talk, laugh, have fun. Um, there's nothing. There, I mean, that's some of our best memories. Right. Usually. Yeah. It's it's, it's a great time. Um, then that's lost in the fall. Like we're barred from that as humanity. Adam and Eve are thrown out from the garden. We are barred from God's presence. Our sin has broken fellowship with God. There's no more eating and fellowshipping with God, right? And then the next time we see it is after the Exodus, right? It's kind of neat, isn't it? It's in the, <laughs> yeah. It's in Exodus 24, 9 through 11. Yeah. Uh, what's kind of going on there in, Exod- in, that, in that picture the next time people are having a meal with God? Well... Um... So Moses has gone up to the mountain, uh-huh. and what you see is that um, Moses is this mediator. I mean, you got to feel bad for this 80-year-old guy that has to keep going up and down this mountain. But he goes up, and he talks to God. Mm-hmm. God tells him what to say to the people, and he goes back and tells the people. And then he has to go back up. The people respond, and he has to go back up and, and talk to God. Right. And so you got this backwards and forth because there's separation, right? They're scared of God, first off. Oh, Let's yeah. say that. God yeah. God spoke and everyone heard and they're like, ah, yeah. like, no, no, this is too much for us. Well, you, hey, you that's, go right. You go, you go, or we'll die. Right. And it's Genesis three, right? Yeah. <laughs> with with Adam and Eve hiding. Yeah. yeah. Um, because there's there's separation because of their sin. They're afraid, yeah. Um so God is going to enter into a covenant with Israel mm-hmm. through his law. And so he gives Moses the law. Um, in chapter twenty and and uh, and following and and he goes down with the law and he establishes this covenant at the beginning of chapter twenty four and so they they offer sacrifices and Moses sprinkles the altar and and the people and the law with blood everything is is sprinkled with blood uh, and the people say the we'll, blood of the covenant the blood of the covenant and we'll right. we'll do this we'll we'll do this law and um, then. This amazing passage in the second half of chapter 24, after the covenant has been established, after yeah. God says, here's what I'm going to do, here's the people responding and saying, we'll do it. The blood of the covenant is sprinkled on them, and Moses and Aaron take take up the elders of Israel, and they see God, mm-hmm. which, again, who is this, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> it's, right. It's, it can only be one. It can only be one, one person. Um, and they see God, and they eat. They have a fellowship meal, and um, it, it's they. It, it says they saw the God of Israel, yeah. and it 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 says what He looks like, and it says they beheld God, and they ate and drank. Mm-hmm. So they have a fellowship meal in the presence of God, but it's only after the covenant has been established. Yeah, right. It's only after the yeah. blood has sprinkled them. 
Yeah, so they see they see something similar to Isaiah's vision, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, what's very interesting if you look up like the blood of the covenant or the sprinkling sprinkling of blood on people, uh-huh. like that's an odd thing that happened. Like usually <laughs> right. things are sprinkled, you know, yeah. whatever. But to have blood sprinkled on people, uh-huh. Peter picks it up, and you just pick through. You just preach through mm-hmm. uh, Peter, first and second Peter. Yeah. Um, but it's the very beginning of First Peter. It's an interesting formula because it's Trinitarian. We're talking about the elect exiles of the dispersion, right? Uh, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctifi- sanctification of the Spirit and for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Mm. So there's the blood of the new covenant. Right. So everyone who has been brought in has been brought in uh, in a similar fashion to Israel, but mm. this time it's with and according to Christ's blood. Yeah. And we'll get into that uh, maybe in a... In a bit when we talk about who can take it and why. Mm. Hebrews picks up on it, mm-hmm. right? Hebrews chapter 9, um, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Mm-hmm. Why can the elders of Israel eat in the presence of God? Yeah, It's because they've been forgiven of their sins yeah. by the sprinkling of the blood, mm-hmm. right? That's, yeah. the, that's the only way that they can, they can behold the Son of God and not die. Right. Yeah, and so when the the Christian um, version of eating a fellowship meal with God is the Lord's Supper, right? right? That, and I think this plays into the strength of what we'll talk about as our position as the spiritual uh, real presence. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that, the spiritual real presence and spiritual nourishment and how that's different. But that fits with that, and I don't think it really fits with the other views mm-hmm. because it's about uh, fellowship, Communal, like this communal aspect of God's people, right? Uh, united in a covenant, fellowshipping with Him, being nourished by Him in His presence, um, and we, like Israel, continue that until Christ returns. And then when Christ returns, what is it pictured as? Right. It's pictured as a big fellowship meal. Yeah, marriage, marriage supper, marriage supper of the Lamb. A big, a big meal, big celebration. I, I like. I, I don't. I think you said it, but I don't. I don't think it's original to you mm-hmm. that at the marriage supper of the Lamb, you either eat or are eaten. I don't know Is if that, I said that. Have I, I ever? I said think that? you said that at Re- when you were doing Revelation nineteen. Okay. If you didn't, I've heard it before. Really. I mean that's that's what you that's the picture that you get in Revelation nineteen, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, because of the the, the birds. birds, the birds. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah, <laughs> not a great, not a great picture. Yeah, yeah. The birds feast on the flesh of uh, the, the people of the world. Yeah, because they're not alive. Right. That's that's the, a little. Yeah, <laughs> little sidebar. Yeah. <laughs> judgment. Yeah, judgment. So that that's kind of the the um, biblical background. I just find it to be very interesting yeah. how God communicates in these these pictures. And not only that, I mean that that's God's desire. Mm. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, interesting. What does God want? He he wants to like fellowship with. I mean, with people. Yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, you've got you've got Moses and Aaron. um, You've got Aaron's sons, and you've got seventy elders of Israel. Um, Forty days ago, they were slaves in Egypt, right? (laughs) And now they're on top of a mountain eating with God, (laughs) right? Right. Um, Grace is just overflowing in these these verses, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they they haven't done anything to deserve this. 
and yet God has just lavished mercy upon them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It really is. All right. So there's that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the historical uh, positions. Okay. Like, what are the various positions? You would think, I mean, you you read these passages, you mm -hmm. read Matthew 26, you read 1 Corinthians 11, and you should come away saying, oh, we should all be in agreement on this, (laughs) but we're not, (laughs) right? Yeah. We got to complicate stuff. Right. Yeah. And uh, I don't know exactly when, Um, so we'll start start with the first one, okay? Okay. Um, The Roman Catholic position which is called transubstantiation, and which means, like, so think transubstance, a change of substance. Mm -hmm. That's what it means. Transubstantiation. So they believe that the priest priest is offering a perpetual sacrifice. Now this is, we don't want to get too deep. Right. Or we'll all walk away with headaches. Yeah. This is influenced greatly by Greek philosophy Mm -hmm. and by... um, Aristotle mm-hmm. and uh, and Plato, so they believe that there was, um, like there's we're sitting in chairs. Mm-hmm. Well, somewhere there exists the idea of a chair. Like there's the there is the i the ideal of a chair. The idea of a chair, it's non material, right? Right. It it exists universally. Yeah. Chairness. <laughs> right. So. It, what they're what they're getting at and the early church fathers they they struggled with this temptation to adopt a lot of greek philosophy mm-hmm. and and kind of merge it into christianity and so they would they would say that the bread and the wine it it stays as bread and wine like you you eat bread mm-hmm. like you taste bread you're right but in the act of transubstantiation, the in essence, the yeah, it becomes its actual flesh, the body and blood of Christ. Yeah. So you're you're eating the body and blood of Christ, but right, it tastes and feels and looks like bread and wine. Yeah, it, and it's different from from Luther's, which we'll get to. It's not that it's both bread. It's no, it's that it's actually changed. It's actually. Flesh right. and it's actually blood. Right. It just looks like the other thing to you, yeah. but it's not that thing anymore. So this view of transubstantiation, the priest will um, set. He had, there's a very ritualistic uh, process that they go through, and he, these prayers, and they'll say uh, it's where hocus pocus comes from. Which I'll show. I got a little clip of it. I'll show it. So they ring a bell. That's when the elements. Are transformed and right. and they actually believe they're offering Christ up again. Yes, as a new sacrifice. It is a perpetual sacrifice. Right, and they believe the priest has that power. Yeah, man, I should have brought it up. I have a, I have, I had a great uh, little section that I've read from uh, Catholic doctrine, which uh-huh. talks about the power of the priesthood. Oh, yeah. That the priest has the power to call down Christ from his throne and, yeah. to, lay, and to lay him bare mm. on the altar again yeah. and as a new sacrifice. Yep. It's, it's very blasphemous. Yes. Um, so every day they call Christ down, mm-hmm. re-sacrifice him right. again, 
offer him up. So they, the Catholic Church. Now, many Catholics probably don't believe this. Uh, probably they probably aren't maybe even fully aware, but they believe that Jesus's body and his blood are actually in the building. I was listening once to um, James White talk about this. Uh, he said transubstantiation. It was at least around 1000 AD. Okay. He thinks that long until it became the position of the church. Okay. And the reason I guess he thinks that is he said it's it's really pretty easy to figure out is when did Catholics start genuflecting or bowing? They'd come into the church, mm. they'd put the little holy water on their body and they would literally bow down right. as they came in the church. Mm-hmm. And the reason they started doing that is because they believe Jesus was sitting on the altar, or not sitting, but he was laid bare on the altar right. as a sacrifice. So they'd come in, Jesus is in the building, but that didn't happen until like 1000 AD. Okay. So James White says that's when transubstantiation became the official okay. practice of the Roman Catholic Church. Okay. So you've got, you know, almost a thousand years yeah. before it was official. Mm. It's also because of transubstantiation that they stopped giving the cup to the people. Right. Because you can't, sp- you know, that these uneducated, you know, farmers, they might spill some of the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. I'll, <laughs> I will never forget the, the only mass I've ever been to was for um, my wife's grandmother, who was a Catholic. Mm-hmm. And so she had a funeral mass. And, um, you know, the priest does his, you know, work of transubstantiation. Gives the gives the wafer, gives the cup, and then at the end he takes the cup, he walks over to the side and he drinks the rest of the wine. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah because they, you can't waste it, right? You can't no, waste the no, no, the no. blood of Christ. Right. They got to drink all the rest of it. Yeah. He downs it. Yeah, he does. Tell you about Thrive. Uh oh. I got a video for what is everybody. Happening? What is it's happening? It's an ad. Here? It's an ad playing. <laughs> so. This, um, the uh, the priest after that mass he uh, he had a few more glasses of wine at the uh, reception too. Oh wow, he yeah. got it. That's called pre gaming. I guess <laughs> he pre gamed the reception by downing the rest of it. I guess they put the uh, I guess they put the uh, the bread in a box and save it for next time. Or what? I don't know if or they, they eat save it? it. I have n- I they don't can't know throw it they, away. They, they can't got it. throw it away. It's yeah, the body of Christ. I don't, I'm not sure what they do, but if you if you understand what they're they have. What they call the Holy of Holies mm-hmm. in the in the Catholic sanctuary. Like it's they've a box. Got the, they've got the Holy of Holies. They've got the box. They keep it in there. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's almost as if they haven't read the Book of Hebrews. Yeah. So the term hocus pocus comes uh-huh. from this Latin mass. Like yeah. everyone's heard that hocus pocus. And, you know, whatever. Poof, magic. Yeah. And that kind of came. I think Calvin was one. He was kind of mocking in a way. Yeah their deal, but he wasn't mocking and saying hocus pocus just because it sounded funny. Yeah. It comes from their words. So right. if you switch over here uh, to this to this video, um, Larry, you'll see it. See, look right there. There's, there the, there's the Latin. Yeah. And, he, and here's where they say it, and here's where it becomes, according to them, the body. They whisper it, or he does. There's the bell. All right. There it is. Hey, you gotta hold it up. You gotta. You gotta yeah, uh, he'll turn around, hold it up. They'll ring a little bell again, yeah. and and then, but they don't give people the um, the cup. Yeah, they'll. Uh, I think maybe they dip it. Okay. And then they give it, mm-hmm. put it on your tongue. Like yeah. I don't even think. I think when the one I went to, you don't even take it. They give yeah, it yeah, to you because they can't risk you dropping it. So yeah. you open your mouth. Dude places it on your tongue. Yeah. 
I'm get, I don't know. They're probably modified for for coronavirus. I would guess. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe not. Who knows? But anyway, I thought that'd be interesting for people to see if they've never seen it before. So that's uh, transubstantiation. They still believe it today. Mm-hmm. Um, hasn't changed. And so it did. Ch- where it started changing was the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, and, right. and Luther. That brings us to the second position, mm-hmm. which is called con substantiation. Con substantiation. Yeah. Another big word means together with con <laughs> right. together. Substance, consubstantiation means together with. So I think, again, Luther's influenced by Aristotelian logic and stuff of this nature, and he says, no, no, you know, obviously we see it's bread and wine, but what happens is it's bread and wine, but Christ's body and his blood are in and throughout it. And around. And around it. um, But it's still bread and it's still wine. Right. and his and this this is what kept the reformation from being a united mm-hmm. reformation so right. there's there's luther there's zwingli um they tried to come together right. and they were agreeing on everything until they got to this point and as we'll talk about in just a second zwingli has a different view of yeah. of the lord's supper than luther right and they could not come together because luther he was very adamant this is my body right? Jesus said, "This is my body." Now, what's yeah? What's interesting about that with Luther is, I think what he shows is how much we are influenced by our time. Yeah, uh, because he's a, he's brilliant. He's also uh, masterful at Greek, so you know he knows what metaphors are, right? right? You know he knows the context of the Passover. Um, so in that Passover meal. They're eating elements that stand for other things, right? Right. There's like the unleavened bread, mm-hmm. which stands for like they're how the people are to be separate from the world, not not worldly, not tainted by the sins of the world. They're separate. Um, there's the bitter herbs. You know, they eat the bitter herbs, which stand for right. What are the bitter herbs? It's like the bitter. Have you ever seen one of these services done? I have. Okay, so what is the bitter herbs? Bitter herbs are the pain and suffering of the people in bondage. Right. Yeah, it's it's because of the bitterness of slavery in Egypt. Right, so the bitter herbs, this is the bondage of our people in Egypt. So Jesus takes up the elements, this is my body. Do you think there's any way any of the disciples thought that he meant that was his body, <laughs> right. or do you think they knew he was doing what was symbolized in the rest of the Passover meal, right. that these elements represent and, and something this, else. this has both transubstantiation and consubstantiation. They have some pretty major theological errors. Right. Um, I mean, transubstantiation, um, just the act of the priest thinking that he's calling Christ down and, and he's being sacrificed again is completely blasphemous. It's completely against um, the teachings of the New Testament. The the author of Hebrews is so clear that Christ offered himself once for all time. Right. There and he's he has sat down. Uh-huh. And that that's that's not just a description, that is a massive statement. Right. That Christ has finished his work of redemption. He yes. is not sacrificed over and over and over again. And the priest does not have some kind of magical power. I don't know if this is still church dogma, but I know that it at least used to be 
the common belief that a priest, once he's ordained, he can do transubstantiation even if he's defrocked. Really? Even if a priest goes to hell, he's able to do transubstantiation mm. because it's some kind of you know power that has been invested yeah. in him. Um, which is completely it's blasphemous. Cra- it is crazy, yeah. right? I mean, this this has no biblical b- basis. It's it's all tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, along with transubstantiation, consubstantiation, it mixes the divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus. Mm-hmm. In his humanity, Jesus's body can only be in one place. That's right. Right. Yeah, and that that comes down to Zwingli, and that's that's what he says. Yeah, Zwingli and Calvin actually. Mm-hmm. And so Zwingli's like, look, Jesus has a human body. It's right. in one place. It's he he is enthroned right. over the cosmos in a human body, and a we, glorified human body. But yeah. nevertheless, he's not. Uh, he's more than human, but he's not less than human. And you, you, his body can't be dispersed in this fashion. Right. Yeah. We and we need to make sure that we are are being precise and accurate with our theology. And Christ is somewhere right now in mm-hmm. his body. Now, in his divinity, he has all the the attributes of the Godhead, mm-hmm. and so he is omnipresent. Right. So in his divinity as the Son of God, he's everywhere, but in his, in his humanity, he's only one place. And so the body of Christ cannot be called down um, and... Resacrificed. And be resacrificed at all of these different Catholic masses all over the world. Right. Um, yeah. The same with consubstantiation. You, mm-hmm. you run into the same problem. The The body of Christ is glorified, seated at the right hand of the Father, and there he will remain. I mean, the acts couldn't be any clearer, right? Right. That, that's where he'll remain until the time of restoration. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So Zwingli says, hang on a second. Look, it's just clear in the text. And that's really... You know what? What it comes down to between um, Protestants and Catholics is, we say the the scriptures are totally uh, sufficient and the one rule of faith. Right? right. There's one rule of, uh, and authority of our faith that is sufficient. It's not the Bible and tradition, which they have those traditions like the priesthood can do the mass forever. Right. And we're like, where do you get that? <laughs> Nowhere in the Bible, right? Yeah. And so Zwingli's like, look, look, it's clear in the text. Jesus tells you. And Paul tells you, right, do this in remembrance of me, right? Mm-hmm. It's pretty clear. This is a memorial. Right. That's what Zwingli says. It's a memorial, and that's, I won't say that's all it, that it is in, in some way that it's not important or it's not meaningful if it's a more memorial, because memorials can be very powerful, transformative things. Right. This is true. You know, The military has all kinds of different <clears throat> memorials, even memorial meals. People might find that interesting. Okay. And they're very powerful things. You know, They have this structure to them, these different toasts even that they'll do. They'll have tables set up, and there'll be empty seats for the fallen, okay. like your fall, fallen brothers in arms. Yeah. They're not at the table. They're gone because they made a final sacrifice. And people will give toasts and to the French who gave us the first uh, cannons in our military pieces, you know, whatever, going back historically. And okay. To the fallen. And it's very, this memorials are very powerful things. Yeah. And so Zwingli would say, look, it's, you say just a memorial. You can't say just because that's what Jesus gave and it's a very powerful thing. Right. Um, and so I think he is right in that it is a memorial. Yeah. 
but we would I think we would both agree that it's something more right than a memorial yes right yeah that brings us to that third point or the fourth the fourth <laughs> right. position yeah which is Calvin mm-hmm. right um, and the um, really the Reformation like right. this is the reform position yeah right of so this would be the position of people hold to the Westminster or to the 1689 mm-hmm. Baptist confession I would say probably that most Southern Baptist churches hold to Zwingli's position yes I think so um, this is what the uh, I know we're gonna get to uh, what our view is um, so this is this is the, the Baptist faith the message 2000 this mm-hmm. is our statement of faith. Uh, The Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience whereby members of the church, through partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine, memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate his second coming. Yeah. So that's probably just... That's very short. It's very short, yeah. Well, obviously we're Baptists, and so the the section on baptism is um, probably three times as long as the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Um, So it's, it's probably more of... Zwingli's position. It's just a memorial. And so that kind of makes sense because that's why it's been pushed to, you know, quarterly. Yeah. This is just a memorial service that we're right. doing. Um, and that's it. Like, yeah, it makes, literally, it, uh, underline the word just. It's yeah. just a memorial. And right. so it's been like relegated to so we don't disagree. something that's we don't, not that important. There's nothing in the Baptist faith message that I would say that's wrong. Right. I would just say maybe we could have added another sentence and made it more full. Yeah, they Ma- could made it made it you know a greater yeah um, representation of of what I think the Scripture teaches. Yeah, which is reflected in the London Baptist Confession. Uh huh. Right. And, yeah. And in section thirty. So the spiritual view is that Christ is present. This is at this the, is at Calvin's the supper. View. Yeah, at the supper, he is present in in his in a spiritual presence, right? Right, not in his his physical body, but it is real fi- because his physical body is in heaven. Yeah, but in his in his spiritual presence, and we, you know, we're you talked about this several weeks ago in your sermon that mm-hmm. we we kind of been trained to be materialist right and we think well if it's if it's spirit and it's invisible it's not real right no christ is actually present because the church is present right, right? Mm-hmm. and when the church is present two or three are gathered right there yes. he is in our midst uh-huh. um and that's not just for church discipline but it's for the church when it meets christ is with us uh-huh um, and I think we go back to Exodus 24 and we see what's going on. Mm-hmm. When we're eating the the mill, um, we are in the presence of Christ. Yeah. But the whereas the Passover or the, the fellowship mill in the Old Testament is is um, a type, it's a shadow, we we have come into the fulfillment of it. Right. And so when we eat in the presence of Christ, we actually are gaining something from, yeah. from Christ yeah. and his death. And resurrection. Yeah, I like. Um, there's Calvin has a, a quote on it um, that in Christ's spirit. Well, first off, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ, right? Right, right. And so it, the Holy Spirit raises us up to the heavenlies, where we fellowship and are uh, nourished by His presence. And this, I mean, of course, 
this makes sense because this is what Paul talks about in the beginning of Ephesians, that he wants us to know the power of God right. that's at work in us. And he reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2 that um, when, when God saved us, you know, by grace, through faith, he raised us up and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. Mm. Now, just because uh, we are we are physically here, we can't see this reality, doesn't mean it's not a reality. So when the church gathers together, and in particular, as we take the Lord's Supper, the Spirit causes this intimate fellowship uh, with Christ to take place around this supper. Yeah. And Paul uses that language of fellowship. Uh, koinonia is Greek, right? Koinonia in uh, Corinthians, and he uses it in a way to teach, hey, you can't participate in pagan uh, rituals. Right. That's participation with demons. Yeah. And the cup that we bless, or the, this cup, is particip- participation, koinonia, yeah. with Christ. Yeah. Right. And so it's, it is a memorial, Right, but it's more than a memorial. Yeah, it's it's intimate fellowship. Christ is present. It's a it becomes here's the term that's used a means of grace. Yeah, so a means of grace is not something we do um, in order uh, to like up our um, our salvation. Like uh, like people can think of it that way. Oh, you're talking about the means of grace in the Catholic sense. Well, they have to do these works in order to get to heaven one day. This is not what a Protestant or a Reformed person means by means of grace. Means of grace means because Christ has saved us and we are justified, he's given us certain things that help us to get to the end, right? And so as we gather, we hear the word preached. Well, that's causing us uh, that that we're receiving the grace of God continually, uh, and that helps us to make it. We get that through Christian fellowship, like we we need each other, that gives us grace. We need to hear the word that gives us grace. Well, the Lord's Supper and baptism, when we observe those, that's God fellowshipping with us and and giving us more and more grace, which enables us to be sanctified and to keep persevering to the end. Yeah. So listen to John chapter six. Um, Jesus, he's he's fed the five thousand. Yeah. He's gone across the. He's he's you know he's walked across the the water. He's on the other side, the the Jews, it's breakfast time, so they're hungry again, so they find him. And he starts telling them that what they really need is the bread of life. Yeah. Right. Um, and he says in, uh, in verse 51, he says, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so verse 52 says, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Mm -hmm. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever, whoever Uh, So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Mm -hmm. Like this is um, is real controversial. Yeah, I love that last verse. It says that he he said this while he was teaching them in the synagogue in Capernaum, mm-hmm. like, of all the places for him to say this inflammatory, you know, teaching about they're they're taking as cannibalism, right? Right. Um, 
but what he's saying is that it's if you don't if you don't feed on him Mm-hmm. then you have no life. Right. Uh, later on in verse 63, he says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's telling them, if you, don't, if you don't have this, if you don't partake of my flesh and my blood, you're going to perish. Right. And they're all thinking cannibalism. Yes. Right. That's right. Well, you taught on this. What mm-hmm. what's it actually mean, Jay? This chapter is really an incredible chapter in the ways that uh, the theology here presents Jesus as a greater Exodus and a greater Moses, one who's greater than Moses, bringing about a greater Exodus. So the whole thing is framed around water and bread, yeah. and that's what happened in the Exodus. You got God delivering through water and you bread. So the story uh, kind of begins with Jesus. Uh, in the wilderness, and all these people coming out to him, they don't have any food to eat, so he feeds them. It's a miracle of bread and fish, and it's a miracle. He didn't inspire them to eat or to share their food, right? That's not what's happening. So he's creating ex nihilo, or from nothing, food. Feeds these thousands of people in the middle of nowhere, uh, where, where they're away from their homes, right? They could take a few a few hours walk probably back home but it's getting getting late so he feeds everybody people are like what well, well, this is amazing and they want to make him their king right they're like and so Jesus is like no you know I'm not going to become that what they're looking for is someone to overthrow Rome so he's like no I'm out of here as he's as he leaves they go back across the sea there's a miracle of water and so Jesus is there cal- he calms the storm he's walking on water and like who is this what type of man is this well the obvious lesson is who has power over these elements. It's the God of Israel who did the same thing when he was rescuing his people. So you have a miracle of food, which corresponds to uh, the manna. And so you know this is what happens because when they show back up again the next day, they're like, hey, feed us again, give us more food. (laughs) And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And they're like, well, Moses gave us bread to eat. And he's like, no, it wasn't Moses that gave you that bread. It was my father. And then he tells them in John chapter 6, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses, this is verse 32, that gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. So he's saying, right here, (laughs) I've come down. Whoever would take me will be spiritually nourished forever. And they don't get it, so he again starts to teach on election. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Why don't you believe? Well, it's because my Father hasn't given you to me. And then he continues on with this, and they stumble, and they stumble over it, and they don't get it. Um, and that's when it gets to the very end, everybody leaves. And he says to the disciples, are you going to go away too? And they say, where will we go? You have the words of, of eternal life. So it's very clear um, he's not talking about transubstantiation. He hasn't right. even died yet, first right. off. That's a problem for mm-hmm. them. He's speaking about himself <clears throat> in the picture of the Old Testament, right? They were fed... Uh, by God, he sustained their life. They did nothing for that bread. They just received it by grace. He fed them in the wilderness, and he's saying, 
look, something greater, <clears throat> sorry, greater than that is here. Yeah. I'm the bread that's come down from heaven. Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's, when you take it in the whole context of it, it's pretty clear what he's doing. Yeah. You need to eat every day to live, mm-hmm. right? Well, if you don't have Christ, you cannot live spiritually a single day. You've, you've got to have him. Right. Yeah, so the uh the the 1689 in its uh its chapter on the Lord's Supper I'm reading out of the uh the modern the updated English that yeah. founders uh distributes. Um it says in paragraph 7 worthy receivers outwardly taking the visible elements in this ordinance so actually eating bread and wine. Mhm also receive them inwardly and spiritually by faith, truly and in fact, but not carnally and corporally. In other words, they do not receive real human flesh. Yeah. And they feed upon Christ crucified and all the benefits of his death. The body and blood of Christ is not present corporally as material body or carnally as physical flesh, but it is spiritually present to the faith of believers in the ordinance, just as the elements are present to their outward senses. Mm-hmm. So, I guess two things are going on as you as you partake of the the supper. You are remembering by by eating the bread and and mm-hmm. drinking from the cup, but then you're also spiritually feeding upon Christ. You're mm-hmm. you are by faith partaking in the death of Christ. Right. Is that? Yeah, an accurate representation in of a it. similar fashion to baptism, right? Yeah. Uh, baptism has similar imagery of this unity with Christ, and and that's what's interesting about this is, right? You um, you don't have to remember right your when you came to faith. Like if you live long enough, you're not going to remember the, the day that you were saved. Like I think John Piper says that. I'm yeah. I'm too old now. I can't even remember. Right. He may not even be able to remember his baptism. We're called to remember our baptism, but I bet you he can remember that uh, last time he partook of the Lord's Supper. And yeah. so what happens in the su- and when you're taking the supper, it's like you are reissuing what you issued at your baptism, which is your public uh, declaration of your faith in Christ and your unity and allegiance to Him. Mm. You're also doing that, yeah. but it's not out in front of the world. It's in front of other fellow believers. So every time you take the Lord's Supper, you're doing that as well. You're professing your faith and reliance in, 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 on Christ and your unity with Him. Yeah. Um, this is uh, from Sam Waldron's exposition of the 1689. It's. I'll try not to read too much of it. I'll skip around a little bit. But he says, in order to obtain the benefit of the Lord's Supper, we must partake of it outwardly but also by faith. We must believe that the elements really do represent the Savior and that by taking them as symbols of him, we do appropriate for ourselves the benefits of his work. Spiritually, to eat Christ is believingly to appropriate him and all the covenant blessings purchased by his broken body and shed blood. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it says that um, every time we exercise faith in Christ. We do the same thing which we do in the Lord's Supper and receive the same blessings. The physical presence of the elements to our senses is a special assistance to God's people in making real to them Christ's body and blood, the purchase price of our redemption. Thus, they make Christ's body present, not corporally, but spiritually to the eyes of faith. 
And I like what he says here at the end. He says, the only significant thing about Christ's body and blood is that they were the purchase price of redemption. They they had and have no special physical composition. Thus, there would be no benefit in eating them, even if we could. Mm -hmm. So it's not like Jesus had magic blood. Right. Right? Yeah. Like, he was truly a man. Mm -hmm. He He wasn't some kind of... Um, you know, magical person that if you if you drank some of his blood, you would you know live right. forever. Mm-hmm. Um, his body and his blood were shed as penalty for our sins, right? Right for our redemption. They're vivid reminders, right? That like uh, God knows how the human mind works. Yeah, you can sit around and have faith in Christ, right? In your mind, go. This is what Christ has done. These are his promises. This is his, the blessings of what he's done for me. But then to take up a piece of something, like a piece of bread, unleavened bread, and to break it, right? That's, you're touching it. Mm-hmm. It's assisting, as you said, it's assisting you in that act of remembrance and faith. Right. To take up this liquid wine and to drink it, smell it helps you to remember that his blood was actually shed. Right. It's the blood of the covenant, which he says, maybe this it's time to dip into that on how should we take it, how should it be observed, who uh, should take it? You know, the blood even, of the covenant. Even when you're you're, you know, you're you're crushing the bread between your teeth, it's mm-hmm. a reminder that Christ's body was crushed for you. Mm-hmm. Like it's your teeth that are crushing him, right? Mm-hmm. It's not someone else's you know, we're not doing baby bird stuff here. It, you're crushing it with your own teeth. It was your sin that sent Christ to the cross. Yeah, that's a good picture. Um, and it's it's all God's grace to mm-hmm. you that mm-hmm. he He gave Christ for this. Yeah. This wasn't an accident. Um, Christ didn't go begrudgingly. He went joyfully. Right. Because he did this because he loves his people and he, he went to redeem a people for himself. Yeah. And so this, uh, he takes the cup, says, "This is the uh, this is the new covenant, right? The blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many." Do you think that's important, and how that Jesus phrased that? And do you believe he's teaching a particular view of the atonement? And how should that inform us? Uh, how should that inform who partakes of this? Yeah. Well, I think he's referencing Isaiah fifty three, mm-hmm. right? Where it's it's for the many, yeah. Um, and I I think that I mean we've talked about this before. I think that there is a, a particularity to the the cross. Yeah, Christ Christ is offered for the world, right? Um, but his death is intended only for the elect. It's it's he dies for his sheep, right? Right. Um. The gospel goes out, and whosoever will believe, come to him. Right. Uh, but only those who are Christ's sheep will hear his voice and, and right. come to him. Yeah. So the purpose of the the cross was the actual atonement for his people. Yeah. And that's that is really the heart of what the scriptures teach about the cross is that it was a penal substitutionary atonement. Yeah. Christ took the punishment in our place. Yeah. So it's not a hypothetical it, it when you know you, have you ever heard that song when when he was on the cross I was on his mind. Right. You ever hear that? Like that doesn't work in an Arminian. No. 
an Arminian framework. It works in a reform framework <clears throat> yeah. uh, because he actually dies for actual people, not an idea. He doesn't die for an idea of people or hypothetical people. He dies for actual people. And, and uh, who is it for in the capital F sense? Like, it's for... Uh, for many, for the forgiveness mm-hmm. of sins, but who is the sacrifice for? It's for so the that, elect. Right, but right. even above that, for so that their sins might be forgiven. His sacrifice is for the Father. Mm-hmm. It's for God. Right. And he's so, a propitiation. And so he's actually making a real sacrifice. Right. People usually think about it um, as like God or, or Jesus made this general sacrifice for for everyone, right? Right. It's for you, but you make it applicable to yourself. Right. Well, I think what Jesus teaches when he does the Lord's Supper is there's a sacrifice to God for many. Mm-hmm. And it's in the same way that you get away from the Jewish aspect of it. Yeah, There is no no way anyone in Israel would have thought the high priest was making a sacrifice for everyone. Right. It was for the people of God. Right. And that's what Jesus is saying. Yeah. It just so happens as we trace Jesus' teaching that he begins to tell us he has people from everywhere, yeah, uh, from every people people group. Right. That becomes explicitly clear in John. The apostles pick up on it uh, as well. Yeah. And we, could, we could spend a lot of time on the extent of the atonement, going all the way back to the Old Testament. Um, yeah. there's, there's evidence that even the Day of Atonement wasn't for everyone in Israel. Mm-hmm. It was only for those who receive it by faith. Yeah. Um, because Eli's sons, um, Eli's told, there's no sacrifice for them. Yeah, and this plays into who and how you should take the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. How should it be given? Who should take it? I think first off, what makes what is abundantly clear is only those who are believing on, on the Christ, Lord Jesus yeah. Christ, who are in Him mm-hmm. by faith, right. should ever participate yeah. in the Lord's Supper. So right. that kind of narrows it off the bat right. into how it should be given. Uh-huh. Um, so what are the kind of some modes and the ways people give it? There's some that are very loose and some that are more strict. There's, there's really three, three ways in which they do it. There's open, mm-hmm. um, which is anybody can take it. Right. Um, if you're sitting in a pew and you're breathing, you can, you can take it. When uh, it passes around, so not really any warnings given? Maybe? <sighs> Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say that there's no warnings given in every circumstance. Uh, you certainly can give a warning and say you ought to be believing on Christ. Mm-hmm. And open, open doesn't mean. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess, in more, open, I guess, in, I guess, in more liberal, more yeah. progressive yeah. Uh, churches, it's just they given. just give it to anybody. And the, and some conservative churches are even going this way by putting them at the back. Have you ever seen this? Oh, really? I call the snacks at the back. Okay. <laughs> so okay. whenever you want, you know, you're here, whoever you are, doesn't matter yeah. to us. If you want, you can go get up and anytime during the service, they're there, they're available. Okay. You know, go take the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Okay. Not even really any structure. You and your family go to the back. Who knows who's taking it, whoever. Uh-huh. Right. That's That seems to me, and, the, and like I said, that's going on in a lot of so-called conservative churches. Okay. That's, that seems very odd. So open... There's, I guess, there's two branches of open. There's <laughs> right. the open that is truly anybody can take it. Yeah, and then there's the conservative open. Did you have, did you have that tweet? Were you going to show that tweet from Ed Young's 
Oh, oh, church. Yeah, yeah. I can do that. That's okay. kind of talking about like what are we the can elements. do the elements, but it has a little bit of the uh, it has a little bit of the. Um, yeah, I'll bring I'll bring that up okay. after we go through the other. What's, okay, the, what's okay. the second? Uh, the second is close close communion. Mm-hmm. Um, this is probably what the majority of Southern Baptist churches do. Right. Is so we would say that it's not only those who are. Um, believing in Christ, but it is also those who have followed his command to be baptized. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're Baptists after all, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we we would see from um, the Gospels, uh, you know, Matthew 28, we would see Acts chapter 2, um, the way that uh, people are brought into the church throughout Acts is they believe on Christ and then they're baptized. Mm-hmm. Like there's there is no there is no um, category of unbaptized believers in the right. New Testament. I mean, they they just it's just assumed you're trusting in Christ, you're baptized, right? Um, and we would say that baptism is by immersion. Mm-hmm. So believers who are professing faith in Christ are baptized by immersion. They go into the water, they come out of the water. That that is our definition of baptism. And so for close for Baptist. Anyway, uh, close would be if you are a believer who has been baptized by immersion, mm-hmm. um, you can partake of the Lord's Supper. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we usually call it a like-minded church. Mm-hmm. So if you're from another Baptist church, you can come in. Um, or if you're from you know, non-denominational and you've, you've been baptized as a believer, you, you can partake right. with, with um, the church. That's, that, that has been my experience um, for... Almost my entire mm-hmm. my entire life, right? Close. Mm-hmm. There are other people that would have a different form of close. They would they would honor other people's baptisms, right? Like maybe even Spurgeon. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Spurgeon would. MacArthur take, does. does don't, I think don't so. They do. Yeah. yeah, they would say they practice close communion in that they they fence the table by warning mm-hmm. by giving various warnings yeah. to not eat in an unworthy manner to make that you are in fact a believer trusting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, and they will say uh, you're welcome to come. So th- there would yeah. be even like a spectrum of close. Right. So we could um, you know we can we could talk about baptism some other time, mm-hmm. uh, and then there's closed. Um, closed communion would be um, a, a local church takes the Lord's Supper alone. Yeah. Right. Um, that would be us. Their membership. Right. That would be us. Right. Um, so you're, we, I don't know how, I, I don't know if you wanted the transition to how we're doing it later, but that's, that's yeah. what closed is. Yeah. You do it within the membership of your church. Right. So if you're going to do that, you really almost you've got to remove it from the service. The, the main unless Sunday you're service. going to unless you're going to fence the table really really fence the table yeah, really, really and it, yeah. uh, maybe have the members come up instead of going out and you have to be ready to tell, tell people, people down. Right. Yeah. Um, tell people beforehand yeah. if you're not actually a member of the church. Yeah. And we have a way where people that are visiting can take communion, or like say you're here, you're military, you're here short term, right? You can come and talk to an elder, give your testimony, and or like say, hey, your family's coming in for a couple weeks, yeah. and if you want your parents to come to that fellowship meal, that's how we do it. We do it around right. a fellowship meal. Uh-huh. Uh, then they give their testimony, and we say, okay, yeah, good. From is what we can tell, you're you've you have a, a 
a testimony. You're a Christian, right? And so you can join us te- uh, for short term for temporary. I think this was the practice of the early church. Mm-hmm. I, I think the early church practice closed communion. The reason why I think that is one: you see that they're meeting at homes around a meal, around a meal. First um, Corinthians eleven, they're they're eating a meal. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's no reason why Paul would say you guys are eating all the food before your poor brothers come mm-hmm. if they weren't actually eating food. So the right? rich people are showing up because they're not working out. Yeah, they're not day laborers. The day laborers are. They're coming in later. Yeah, no food left. <laughs> right. Um, but second, you you read the uh, the accusations against the church concerning the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. Um, the the early church was being accused of having orgies, mm-hmm. you know, sexual immorality, because they called them love feast. Mm-hmm. Um, that they're drinking human blood mm-hmm. and eating people. Yeah. If it was open, they wouldn't have been all the all the all the uh, Christian apologists could have said is come and see. Yeah, come and see. What but we they do. don't. They don't. They explain what's what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't say, "Hey, the door is open. Come, come and, and try s- it. Come and try it." Um, so I think it's closed. Yeah, I think it's closed. Um, if someone were to accuse us of, you know, drinking human blood at our Lord's Supper, um, you know, you could just say, "Come and come and see mm-hmm. that we're not doing that." Right. I mean, you can you can see that we've got. You smell it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's not that's not blood. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that that is a that's a reason why I think that the early church practice closed communion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, I they only had one form of baptism, so it was also close. I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It wasn't. There weren't public worship services happening yeah. like that. Right. They were private, mm-hmm. um, and for a lot of different reasons. Persecution, right. uh, even before that, you know the ostr the ostracization ostracizing that would go on. I don't even know what word it is. <laughs> Struggling there. So they'd have they'd have private meetings. Yeah, they'd meet together. Right. Um, so yeah, it's around a meal. That's kind of sad that that's been lost today. Now it gets logistically a little complicated as the church gets bigger and bigger. This was right. very easy to do early in the church, prior right. six years ago. Uh, we have a meal. There, are, you know, twenty, twenty-five of us. Yeah, and we have the Lord's Supper in the context of a meal. Now we're bigger. I mean, we got like we're around getting upwards to close to around a hundred, and there are little kids running around all over the place, yeah. and uh, it gets logistically a little more difficult. Yeah. You have a big a big meal. People bring food. Lord's Supper takes place in the context of that. So maybe people would would be interested in knowing why we do closed instead of doing close. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't we just let um, people come and just take them at their word that they have been baptized and, and are they members. Are believers. Yeah, they are believers. They're in good standing. I mean, <clears throat> it was it was it was really personal experience that led us this direction. Yeah, I think that if we lived in the northwest or the northeast, um, you could you could have the the Lord's Supper. It could be more safe, yeah. safely done in the worship service on a Sunday morning, which mm-hmm. is what we were doing right. when we were smaller. Uh, we would have the Lord's Supper every Sunday morning, which I, I love. It'd be my yeah. preference. But the problem mm-hmm. is, is where we are at in the Bible Belt and where we live, everybody here says they're a Christian. Right. And probably 90% of people that say they are, pro- they're not, probably. Mm-hmm. And they'll come to church and they'll just take the Lord's Supper. Yeah. 
uh, even if you warn them. Like you can give the starkest warning imaginable. And we had this happen when we merged. Yeah. There, there was there were people there that we knew they are not believers. Uh-huh. There was one person here who had had actually sat in my office and said, "I'm not a believer." Mm-hmm. Um, and we would give warnings, and this person would take it. <laughs> right. Right. And right. I think I think that both of us kind of came to the conviction that it's our responsibility responsibility also not to give it. Right. Like it's their responsibility not to take it, but it's also our responsibility not to give it. Uh-huh. Um, and so we, and we also wanted to move towards a fellowship mill. Right. Um, I, I think that's the practice of the early church is, is closed with a fellowship mill. You, you partake of the Lord's supper and you, you eat together. Um, and it is a worship service that right. we're doing it at. We yeah. sing, uh-huh. pray, Right. there's a message given. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just so happens there's food everywhere. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it looks different yeah. than what And it's you, a little less formal little, yeah. than a, a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Um so that was that was kind of why we moved to a a closed. And I wouldn't say it's it's not a sin, I don't think. I mean it's not commanded. You have to do it this way. Right. Um but this is the way that we feel most comfortable. Yeah. in doing it I, and I, I i love the fellowship mill mm-hmm. like when we when we had to to stop the fellowship mill because of covid like that's um that, that made me a little sad mm-hmm. I, I like the fellowship mill aspect of it right because yeah. that's what we're doing in the lord's supper it's it's not just and we didn't really touch on this but it's not just it's not just vertical it's right. horizontal right yeah, Paul says that in uh, in First Corinthians eleven, he tells you to observe the body. Mm-hmm. Now, contextually, that means, I believe, the body of Christ, the people. Okay, am I showing up early and eating all the food and don't care about the poor pe- poor Christians? <laughs> right, right. Uh, am I one that he's talking about where I, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm bringing the class system into the local church. Mm. Like, that's what he's getting at. Yeah. No, no, no. You're coming to this table on equal footing. And mm. the Roman class system is multi-layered, and you can't break through the layers, yeah. right? You can in a very, through a great and very difficult struggle to a certain degree, but there are some you can't jump. Right. You're locked in by your birth, and all that goes away, mm. right? You come to the table, there's one piece of bread. Yep. Observe the body. You're united in Christ you are brothers and sisters together. Yeah. This is the place where you're all equal. Mm-hmm. And uh, you ought to be able to take the Lord's Supper and open your eyes and look around the room. Yeah. Like, have I, uh, ha- have I not, have I put my needs before this person that mm-hmm. I can look at? Right. You should be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And that, and when you're just in a pew yeah. and it's you and 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 Jesus, right. That becomes more difficult. Yeah, and Matthew chapter six, if uh, or Matthew chapter five, uh, rather, um, you know, if, if your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar, go and be reconciled, and then come back. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that would also apply to the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. Um, your your act of worship in the Lord's Supper is not acceptable to God if you look across the room and you and your your brother or your sister have something you yeah. got a beef between the two of you. So th- this is some this this is a, this is a good segue then. What does it mean to take in an unworthy manner? Mm-hmm. People probably are asking that. Does that mean I have to be living a, a, a like a high standard of life like uh 
because I think people can think that, right? Well, I'm not worthy to take this. Supper. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm not worthy to partake of this. Yeah, is that yeah, what would be, Paul is it, getting at? Yeah, it'd be it'd be really easy to hear that and and say, man, I, you know, I, I'm not good enough to take this. This is a high standard, mm-hmm. right? Um, but that's missing the message yeah. of the Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. right? Christ was not given for righteous people. Mm-hmm. He was given for sinners, and he was given for us while we were we were we were enemies mm-hmm. and while we were yet sinners christ died for us yeah um if he's if he died for us when we were still sinners we still partake of that grace in the lord's supper um but i would say um that uh to take it in an unworthy manner would be to take it as an unbeliever mm-hmm. um to take it as um just like a ritual Mm-hmm. Or mindlessly, mm-hmm. which I, I I'm afraid that a lot of people yeah do that. Mm-hmm. Um, consider what is actually taking place. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul gives the like this is what you're doing mm-hmm. when you take it in in First Corinthians eleven twenty six. He says, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So you're you're making a proclamation as you you do this act of worship you can't do this mindlessly and you're you are waiting for Christ to come you're you are waiting expectantly you can't do that mindlessly uh, but then to take it in an unworthy manner would be to be living in unrepentant sin mm-hmm. um, if you're in open rebellion with God right. and you take the the supper whether it's a sin that is between you and God or between you and someone uh, else right. Um, you need to um, confess and repent of that, mm-hmm. and then you can. Then you come and you receive that grace, right? Like here is Christ given for sinners, and He forgives. Mm-hmm. Um, if if we confess, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Good, that was a good description. Well, we've, we're gone pretty long, so I don't well, even we, know if I'll show that. Well, we should. We should uh, we got time. You got to show. We got time. Show we got well. We got we got two more things that maybe we should hit on, and okay. we can do, we can do these fairly quickly. quickly I All think. Right. So first, maybe people are wondering about frequency. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, so so uh, you know, like I said at the beginning, most Baptist churches do it quarterly. Yeah. And so, at the most, you probably do it six times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, others do it every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do it once a month. Yeah. What I mean, what. Uh, you said your preference is weekly. Yeah. I Would, wish we could do it every week. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wish we could have a fellowship meal every week. Yeah, that that would mean we have a fellowship meal every week, <laughs> right. which is going to get real, yeah. real difficult. <laughs> yeah. Um, In an the, ideal world, right, like... Like, let's say we live, well, I won't say this is ideal, but because it's not. But if you lived in a place where persecution was taking place, yeah, right, and you, like, kind of like in the early church, uh-huh. it cost you something, right, to go to church, you'd probably be safe taking every, every, every week, right? Because the people that show up, right, are going to come at risk to themselves. And you're also going to need that, you're going to need that fellowship, yeah, right. Um, and that reminder, mm-hmm. like that, it's it is a means of grace, mm-hmm. and in a hostile world, you need that means of grace. Yeah, uh, but there's not; it's not a sin not to take it every week. What do no, you say? No, it's not. Um, going once a quarter seems a little long to me. Yeah, 
Um, but I don't know that I could say, I can't point and say it's sinning to yeah. do it once a quarter, but it does seem you've made it some not very important. So that the argument, the argument is if you do it, if you do it every week, it becomes meaningless. Nah. Like you lose, mm-hmm. you lose the meaning of it. Doesn't happen. Right. We sing every week, right? Right. Um, we go to Sunday school, give, um, we pray, mm-hmm. <laughs> we listen to a sermon. Like, it doesn't have to become meaningless. It only becomes meaningless if you make it meaningless. Right. Like, if you if you check out, then even if you do it once a quarter, it's going to be meaningless. Well, it just gets to sentimentality, right? Right. I've got to feel mm-hmm. something is happening for something to really be happening. Right. Well, that's not true. Right. God can be transforming you by his grace, whether you feel a thing or not. Yeah. Right? We're too sentimental. Yeah. So... Paul just says, for as often as you eat this bread mm-hmm. and drink this cup. He doesn't... It seems like the, the practice of the early church probably was every time they met on the first day of the week. Yeah. Um, but there's no command. Before they went to work. Before they went to work. Or late. Yeah. Or late, right? Yeah. That's that seem, that's weird to think about, right? Sunday Sundays as... As a work day. As a work day in the Roman Empire. You mean they didn't observe the Christian Sabbath, Jay? <laughs> I mean, historically, they... <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, there's a reason why Eutychus fell asleep and fell out a window, right? He'd been working all day. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so I don't think that there's a, you know, an express command, you have to do it weekly. I think that it's the church needs to decide. And I, I'm with you. I think, I think quarterly might be a little, yeah. little too little. Mm-hmm. I, I like doing it monthly at the very least. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Finally, we got to talk about the elements. Yeah, yeah. we got to talk about the elements, right? Because there's questions about the elements, and the COVID quarantine has revealed <clears throat> cracks in the evangelical church. In yeah, re- some problems <laughs> regarding you know, not only not only the you know virtual church, right? Like, can you take right. the Lord's Supper via mm-hmm. Zoom, right? Uh, but also the elements, right? Yeah. Um, so we've talked about this in, in, um, before we ever had video, we, we did, a an episode, goodness, a year ago on virtual <laughs> church. Can right. you do virtual church? So right. I would, I right. would probably just point people back to that. Just go back to the very beginning of, of the podcast and, uh, you'll find maybe, uh, you'll find an episode somewhere around there about virtual church and our our, our strong feelings against it. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a fellowship mill. Zoom is not quite the uh, the type of fellowship, I think, that's in mind. Mm-hmm. Okay, but the elements. Yeah. So Christ breaks the bread. He gives them the cup. So here's the here, at least, is the elements. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, he's talking about bread. He's talking about the cup. Uh, what kind of bread should we use? Well, it should... I, I mean, it seems to be unleavened bread. That's what was used in the Passover. Is there a reason for that? I, this, it's it's a it's a teaching symbolism thing. Um, leaven, you know, leaven in the Bible represents sin or worldliness. Yeah, and we're to we are to not we're as Paul tells the church to remove the leaven from them. Right. Right. And so that's kind of the the imagery that is there mm-hmm. is where. We're untainted by the world. So the bread, there's one piece of bread, 
And so that's kind of the picture. I think, and so you lose that imagery. I, I don't know that it would be a sin if that's all you had. Like yeah. we don't have uh, unleavened bread. All we have is bread. I don't think it's a sin yeah. to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can get unleavened, man, we don't know anything about the bread that came from heaven, right? The manna, right? Who yeah. knows? Yeah. Uh, so some uh, we have a great uh, lady in our church. Mm-hmm. She makes the best. Yeah unleavened bread yeah. and it's actually nice it tastes good it's not it's not like gross and crunchy you know what i mean like, <laughs> we should eat it with joy right yeah. not not uh not suffering it's really nice like there's no bitter herbs yeah. in the in the it's really <laughs> the Lord's no, supper right yeah really nice unleavened bread that's, i mean it's good yeah, bread right and uh yeah so okay what about what about the cup though so like, this, this is the, the question right like the bread is not usually the question it's usually the cup. Right. Should you use wine or is it permissible to use grape juice? And there are some people that say that it's a sin if you don't if yeah. you don't use wine. <clears throat> well, some people yeah, some people would say it's a sin. You've got to use wine. Um I think wine is at what was used. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think the Bible is as clear as how fermented the wine needs to be, right? Cuz all all of it is grape. All of it is the element of grape juice. It's just different levels of fermentation. Why do you think grape? Why do you think it has to be fruit of the vine? Is there a is there a reason why it can't be apple juice? Um, I think I think there's imagery of God's blessings on people from the Old Testament that wine symbolizes that would be missed if you just change it out completely. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So that's uh, God's blessings and cursings on a nation. I remember I did a study once on alcohol. That's how I discovered this stuff. Okay. When God curses a nation, he removes their wine. Mm. When he blesses a nation, wine is abundant. Okay. You can. I can't take you to the verses right off the top of my head. And he gave wine uh, so that men's hearts would be glad. Mm. That's a problem passage if you're a total teetotaler. <laughs> right. Right? And so wine is celebratory. <clears throat> so there, there's that element, you know? that's You can see that in, in wedding feasts. Yeah. The marriage supper of the Lamb, I don't think is going to be a lame. I think it's going to be a great celebration. Right. Wine is going to be involved. Man, uh, it's part of the new covenant blessings. It's, uh-huh. it's promising that... Your hills will flow with wine, right? Right. Yeah, the blessings of God are overflowing. That's if you just put it water. Like I think uh, the Mormons use water. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you know that? I did not know. They that. use water. Oh, yeah. Interesting. That you've missed the whole picture of that. Yeah. Um, so I I can't I can't go to where I would say it's a sin not to use wine uh, because it's technically the same thing yeah it's just not fermented i think also the picture of god's wrath is usually um the wine press yeah right crushing grapes crushing grapes Mm -hmm. so when you're drinking it you're remembering that christ was crushed yeah um and his blood Mm -hmm. his blood was spilled yeah yeah that's good and he will i mean that's and you get that vividly in revelation right he's crushing the uh, yeah. the world like mm-hmm. you would crush grapes under your feet right um, and so so our, our picture is that that Christ already did that uh, for us right. he took it 
So the problem that was revealed during quarantine is yeah. churches just saying, grab whatever. <laughs> right. And right. we've got just a representative. This, yeah, is, not, a- this is not just to, to make fun of Ed Young Jr.'s church, though there's a lot of things that we can make fun of. Quarantine. Ed Young Jr.'s church, yeah. Fellowship Church down in Texas. Oh, yeah. For, uh, but this is just a sample. This is just a representative because I've heard of other churches that have done the exact same thing. Yeah, everybody was doing it during quarantine. Yeah. Um, you, we do not have the authority to change the elements. Right. Because the, the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, the elements communicate the meaning Right. There's a reason we don't baptize in, you know, uh, Nickelodeon slime. Right. Like that's not that's not the picture, right? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking like if you had no water and it was sand, we don't get to say dig a hole, cover him up with sand, <laughs> uh-huh. like you would at the beach. Right. He, he comes out. <laughs> yeah. You've got a baptism. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't. We don't get to do that. Yeah. You, we don't have the authority to change the elements because we don't have the authority to change the meaning. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, I had a discussion with a Presbyterian brother years ago about why, why do okay. I know why you, ba- you know, you say you baptize infants. Why don't you go the Eastern Orthodox route and immerse, immerse the baby, it, immerse infants, right? Because bab- baptizo is immerse. Right. That that's in the word. Baptism is just it's just a transliteration. Um, and he said, well, because in the Old Testament, there's pictures of the Holy Spirit being sprinkled on the people. And I was just thinking to myself, but that's not the meaning of baptism. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's, that is true. Um, there, there are pictures of, I mean, we talked about the blood being sprinkled on the people. But that's not the picture. Or the oil poured on the head of David. Is that what they're yeah. taking from? Yeah. Um, the picture is you have died and been buried. Mm-hmm. And you've been raised. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't just sprinkle a little bit of dirt on someone and say they've been buried, right? Like they go under, mm-hmm. right? So we can't we can't change the elements because we can't change the meaning, right? So I don't know if you want to if you want to show yeah. that. And we can let's just, uh, show this uh, show switch over there. And uh, bring this up. This is a tweet that came out. So during quarantine, churches were getting all creative. You know, we got to take communion together online. So grab whatever elements you have. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about the specifics, Jay. This is only about remembering, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's all about remembering. Yeah. So here's uh, orange juice and toast. There's something wrong with that toast. Like someone took a bite out of it, <laughs> pre-bite. Uh, here's orange juice and tostita chips, Uh-huh. Yeah. like restaurant style for salsa. Yeah. There's... Um, Juice box. Juice. Fruit, fruit punch. And is that cracker? What is it's, that? Those are goldfish. Goldfish. Yeah, those are yeah, goldfish. Yeah. This yep. one right here, if the elements don't matter, you could really go with the Roman Catholic position here, and you could dip those chips in some salsa. In some salsa, and there you go. Yep. If the elements don't matter, then it's a, free, don't, it's a free-for-all, right? You don't want to sp- spill that orange juice. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a free-for-all yeah. if, if you can change the elements. But if, when you change the elements, you're saying something about the meaning. Yeah. And uh, we, we don't have the authority because Christ is the one that, he's the one that established the ordinances. Like, that's why we call them ordinances, right? Yeah. Like, Christ has, has ordained these as 
the means of grace. Well, yeah, I don't think you can actually have church online. So that, uh, yeah. Not, well, not, I mean, not, again. <laughs> so I start. I'll start like I'll start here like lower. Yeah. You can't. You don't have a gathering of the church online. Uh-huh, right. Right. That's not real. Right. Uh, <laughs> and if you don't have a gathering of the church, yeah. Then well, then you most certainly cannot take the Lord's Supper. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the whole thing is. We're going down the wrong, yeah. the wrong path to begin right. with here. Yeah, so we we need to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Like the Bible speaks to these things; it's, it's not silent. And so, where the Bible speaks, we don't have the authority to just change it because circumstances right. have changed. You know, go the COVID. What that should what should have happened during that time is people should have been like, "Man, I can't wait for this to be over, yeah. so that I can get together with my people and take mm-hmm. uh, the Lord's Supper together." Right. Instead of saying, ah, you know what? I scratched that itch with some orange juice. <laughs> some toasted. So instead, yeah, instead of, instead of mourning over the, uh, the situation and, and praying, we're just like, well, you know, let's change things up and mm-hmm. do it however. Right. Yeah. That's it. That's yep. good. All right. Well, hopefully, uh, you learned something today. Um, and this has been beneficial to you. And if it has, please like, subscribe, and share. Pass it along with your friends. Maybe go online and write us a review. And as always, we hope that this helps you to be more and more conformed to Christ. 